1: I asked the Prime Minister How good is Australia?
0: Please explain
1: Mate, this is just impossible Too many people were confused Uh, You bet you are, Uh, you bet I am I have always believed in miracles That's not a policy
2: Not now, not ever I
1: mean... (laughs) These comments are completely inappropriate
0: I'm sure she's right
1: But I ain't spending any time on it how pathetic. You're a classic space invader. Disgusting, mud-sucking creatures. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. A of democracy, very good. <laughs>
0: Well, hello there. Mark Kenny here with a special Democracy Sausage Extra, another serving midweek. I know that you're really happy about that. And with me, of course, uh, as always, is Dr. Maria Taflaga from the School for Politics and International Relations at the ANU here. Welcome, Maria.
2: Greetings from the bubble.
0: <laughs> from the bubble, <laughs> indeed, on this side of the lake. And I'm really happy to welcome back to Democracy Sausage Professor Nicholas Biddle. From the uh, Centre for Social Research and Methods here at ANU, and Nick, you've just released some really fascinating research on exposure and the impacts of attitudes on attitudes of the 2019-20 Australian bushfires and. It's pretty uh, snappy stuff, really, when you think about it. We're still in summer as we do this recording, and you've you've got this research out there. Take us through some of its key findings.
1: Yeah, so uh, the interviews took place uh, around the middle of January, so towards the tail end of the, of the main bushfires, and what we did is we asked a little over 3,000 people about different forms of exposure. Uh, so uh, we asked a couple of questions about more direct exposure, so whether you had property damage, uh, whether your property was threatened, or whether you had to be evacuated. Uh, and we found a little over fourteen percent or so of the population said that yeah they had some form of of direct exposure. That's not many, pretty significant, it's pretty high. It? And yeah. and so you know when you do these surveys, you you when you first get the data, you kind of think, well oh, does that kind of make sense? Uh, and it was high, so we we did a little bit of background and we uh, had a look at the estimated number of residents in the area, uh, the estimated number of visitors in the area, uh, and lines up pretty well. Uh, and then we looked at some of the insurance claims, and it, none of the not. All insurance claims would have came through or been publicised yet, uh, but it kind of lines up. Uh, and I guess what it shows is is unlike, say, previous fires where very localized but very large effects on very local areas, uh, the 2019 2020 bushfires were very widespread a- across Australia. Uh, and yeah, you know, every we had respondents from every state and territory who said that they were uh, they were somehow uh, affected. Now, some of those may have been. Because they were traveling outside of those states and territories. Uh, but yeah, very very large, very diverse exposure. Um, but we also thought it was quite important to ask about more indirect forms of exposure uh, for a couple of reasons. One is to get as complete a picture as possible of, of what happened over the summer. Uh, but also because our reading of the literature suggests that more indirect exposures can have, uh, if not larger, but as large an effect as uh, the more more direct forms, and and that was even larger. So, so we asked about whether you knew someone who had uh, property threatened or property damaged, uh, whether you had to change your your holiday plans or travel plans. Uh, and within the the Canberra bubble, uh, we all experienced it. Uh, whether you were physically affected by uh, smoke, uh, yeah, the bubble was full of smoke. The bubble was full of smoke. Away. It was, uh, and and the bubble was trapping the smoke in, uh, yeah. and quite literally. And we found uh, more than half. The population reported some form of physical effect from smoke. When we looked at Canberra, uh, 9 in 10, Canberrans said that they were affected by the smoke. The other 1 in 10 were probably on holidays in New Zealand or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, and they never went outside. Or yeah. Uh, and, and the final question we asked was just a general one about, I guess, fear and anxiety. Uh, and that kind of uh, not knowing uh, what's happening to your friends and family, not knowing whether you're uh, town or suburb is is kind of going to be next, uh, and and once again we found a little over half of the population said that they felt some form of fear and anxiety or worry and anxiety over the over the summer. And then when you combine those forms of indirect exposure, more than three quarters of the population had some uh, exposure to the bushfires. That's which is, that's
0: really a very large number, isn't it? What? Yeah, seventy seven point eight percent. Yeah, yeah.
1: So and once again, it it kind of. When we looked at the data, was that that too large? And then we kind of asked around ourselves, well, how would you answer these questions? Like, yeah, okay, I I was affected by the smoke. Uh, I knew people who had property damage.
0: Well, I would have answered yes to a number of those questions because if you lived in Canberra, as you say, you were affected by the smoke. Yeah, and then you
1: think, well, okay, well, uh, the start of the fire season, uh, north coast of New South Wales, Brisbane, uh, southern Queensland was Mm. affected. Parts of the Blue Mountains, uh, lots of smoke uh, in parts of Sydney over the over the period. Melbourne uh, had some days of quite high uh, smoke, and then and then the kind of the east uh, coast of, of Victoria as well. So it kind of it it really shows how ubiquitous uh, that experience was of some form of exposure. The knowing someone uh, having to change what your not just kind of short-term plans, but the things which you do every year. Uh, you mm. know, there's people in Canberra, well, Canberra uh, go down the coast, yeah, down right? The you could go year. down the coast, or or people from Melbourne uh, go kind of to the to the Pacific Coast, or mm. uh, people in Sydney who travel up and down the coast, and and that change that uncertainty. I think uh, has not only had direct impacts on people, but also appears to have impacted on their views of a range of of topics. One of the interesting questions was was whether this was Going to have an effect on people's attitudes towards environmental issues, uh, and that was obviously part of the narrative. Uh, this was this was not a bushfire, which was where the discussion was just what are you doing in the local area, uh, you know how how do um, how has the state and territory responded? This was a, a bushfire crisis which had global impact, but also a kind of national policy, which which was brought to the to the front. And we certainly found that people who were um, Exposed in some way to the to the fires, were more likely to say that the environment was kind of one of the main issues from their perspective, uh, and also I guess um, more likely to attribute. Some of those changed views to to the poor handling or, or the um, this self-reported poor handling by the government. Uh, so it had not only effects on views on the environment, but also views on the government, views on Scott Morrison, uh, um, as well as just a, a what we think is a pretty good catch-all term, which is you know, how uh, how satisfied are you with the direction of the country, and how confident are you in 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 kind of the policy environment, and and all of those things were not only impacted at a national level but impacted more so for, for those who reported some indirect or, or direct exposure.
0: It's uh, interesting, Maria, isn't it? Because uh, it, that re- the, all those numbers really seem to back up the anecdotal um, suggestions around that there has been this shift in in the community sentiment over uh, perceptions of the government, perceptions of the adequ- adequacy of uh, policy in the climate space and all those things. It all seems to be adding up to a significant kind of hinge point in our politics.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things I really want to know, um, Nick, about the findings of the of the ANU poll is, you know, we know in, uh, in voting behaviour, in the literature, the median voter theorem, the economy is pretty much the primary driver of vote choice. Um, you know, do you think that uh, the results from your survey are likely to decay over time mm. or do you think that um, there is sort of information in there that this might be sort of, creating a, 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 a systemic change, as far as you can say, from one poll?
1: At the risk of of giving the standard research a response, which is we need more research. Really? More research? I think there's a couple of uh, hints. So one is, uh, to me, kind of confidence in the government is is a slightly different measure and and perhaps a more – stable measure uh, or than who you're going to vote for, uh, and the fact that there was quite large changes in not only um, kind of how likeable the PM, but also is how confident you are in, in the PM. And my sense is uh, that we know there's a downward trend in, in kind of confidence in institutions with a little bit of variation uh, around that trend, but that's harder to lose, but also harder to, to regain those conf- that confidence. I guess uh, another thing which makes me think it's not just kind of that random fluctuation is that there were c- types of voters who are more likely to to uh, swing away from the government as observed uh, in the poll. Uh, so one of the um, things we, not only in our new poll findings from the previous election, uh, but other uh, data from both the opposition and the government and and other um, uh, kind of analysis of the previous election was the swing towards the coalition from female voters uh, and that in many ways – that swing was one of the the things which got Morrison over the line in a very tight election, and what we found with our data is is a very large swing in the opposite direction from female voters uh, with this um, with this survey. So, what can, that's can we drill down into that, like, sure.
2: I mean, you know, what are what are the demographics? So like, are these you know are these young women? Are these older women? Are these mums? Right?
1: Yeah. So that's a we haven't kind of sliced and diced it that way. What we have looked at though is. Other predictors of um, kind of swing away from the coalition Uh, and so one is is a very young, uh, relatively young who were less likely to vote for the coalition in the first place are even more less likely. Uh, So I I guess a divergence, uh, an increased segregation by age uh, in voting patterns relatively advantaged. uh, uh, People swung uh, away from the coalition uh, over the bushfires, but had swung towards the coalition in the previous election. But to me, the most interesting one was uh, variation in uh, kind of the capital, non-capital city. Uh, So what we found with the previous election is, even though uh, there were kind of differences in levels, uh, so different in voting patterns, between capital and non-capital cities, there wasn't that much of a change. That was pretty consistent over the time leading up to the election. Whereas with our data from October compared to January, uh, an even larger uh, movement away from the coalition in uh, non-capital cities, uh, which was surprising to me uh, because we're already controlling for bushfire exposure in our analysis. So it's not just that those who live outside of uh, capital cities are more exposed. It's that everyone in non-capital cities uh, m- has moved away from the coalition over this period. Now, whether that stays or not uh, is another question. And it's
0: in a sense, it's the big big question politically, I guess. Yeah, uh, there'd and, be people in the coalition who'd be thinking: as the you know the the kind of um, th- this whole crisis, this whole yep. summer of crisis, kind of recedes in memory, then uh, you know perhaps some of these trends will soften you know, perhaps people will stop being... It won't be such a vote changer as it yeah. might show up at the and, moment.
1: Yeah, and and also, if I was leader of the opposition, I wouldn't be overly happy with these results either because mo- a lot of the swing went to other parties. Uh, so, and we know that people who go to other parties don't stay there uh, mm. in their voting patterns, uh, as well as preference flows are likely to go, to go back to the coalition. So uh, I think there's, in a sense... Uh, bad news for both major parties, which is that there was a swing away from the coalition, but that swing didn't really go towards Labor. It was a little bit of a swing towards Labor, but more so towards the the non-Greens, non-Labor parties. Let's just take a quick break for a moment and we'll be back in a minute.
2: Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts.
0: Welcome back. As we go, as we record this, uh, the Australian has a a news poll out today, and it's showing really for the first time that voters are more inclined to uh, see, uh, to devalue action to reduce Mm. emissions than they are worried about higher power prices. Now, that may be a temporary thing, it may be a function of Mm. the. a scale uh, and severity of this summer of of bushfires and drought and so forth, um, but it is quite significant that that shift has happened, so this does um, dovetail quite well with your research as well yeah, so
1: we also looked at uh, support for coal mines uh, so one of the questions which fortuitously uh, had been asked in June uh, of the same a proportion of the sample uh was whether you um support new coal mines uh and it was slightly less than majority support in in June but you know roughly 50-50 split but a very large decline uh in support for new coal mines over the uh June to to January period uh and one of the things which uh which I was a little bit surprised by was that the size of that change was greater for the coalition. So, as you can imagine, uh, we we had voting patterns as of June, so this wasn't. Changes in voting also moving with changes in in, um, in support for coal mines. This is fixing people at what they's, who they voted for the last election. Now, not many Greens voters supported new coal mines, uh, right. and even fewer did uh, in January. But that's not really that meaningful. Uh, but you went from uh, around about three quarters to just a little over half of Coalition voters uh, supporting new coal mines, and I think that's a big that's a big change. This isn't kind of the Canberra bubble, uh, the uh, Twitterati. This isn't. This is people who who did vote for the coalition in uh, May, who said they would vote for the coalition in October, still uh, changing their views on on coal mines, and I think that's a big change.
0: And was that because climate change suddenly got real?
1: Yeah. So uh, that's a one of the other findings uh, was that a bit of a surprise was there wasn't that big of an increase in people who thought climate change was an issue. Kind of like an abstract concept. Like we say, is, is climate change an issue? You kind of, yeah, I guess it is. But what we found when we had a, quite a long-term perspective back to 2008 is a very large increase in people who thought it was a threat to them. Uh, so rather than being kind of an abstract climate change affecting people in poor countries or, well, I don't live on, I don't have a beach, I don't have a beachfront mansion. I'm not that worried about Mm. sea level rising or yeah, a little bit warmer. Okay, fine. Just turn the air conditioning up. This is something which, uh, the biggest change was people who thought it was a threat to them. Uh, And I guess- Smoke rolling in uh, to Sydney or Canberra or Melbourne uh, is it's just staying yeah, there it's, for weeks. and Yeah, and weeks not leaving on. is 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 something very visceral, something very salient to people. Uh, whereas, uh, kind of sea level rises over a hundred year period is it's it, you can think yeah that's that's a problem, but yeah, okay, you can't see it. Well, yeah, well, you can't see it. You can you can't, see you can't, you can't, you can't see the smoke. It. Yep, uh, and and I think. Whether um, whether that becomes a uh, whether that's stable or not uh, is is a real question. Whether uh, whether people think that it will still stay a threat to them is is a question.
2: Exactly the the salience of this issue over the long run is uh, clearly the sort of $60 million question in this whole issue. Um, given your experience with the ANU poll um, over many years, looking at, at trends, uh, you know, is this issue analogous to any others in the past?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So so last time we asked about the environment, it was during the um, – just after the election of the Rudd government. And, and so – it was quite a a salient issue. We did see, even though we didn't have longitudinal data then, we could see a a spike in the proportion of people who thought the environment was an issue. Uh, So we do see, I guess, trends in issue salience, but I I haven't seen as large a a change in, uh, I guess, policy attitudes towards particular policy questions uh, over such a short period of time. Uh, And with a very... Uh, consistently ask questions. So obviously, you can ask questions in different ways, and then people's attitudes change. Uh, but the 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 change over a, a short period of time in a consistently asked question on a, on a major policy issue, I haven't seen as uh, as large a shift as we saw with some of the questions which we asked on on a new poll. Um, but yeah, look, I I think that the the extent to which people um people's views return to a, a baseline is is obviously something which the government's going to be really focused on and are they going to be doing making a lot of effort to kind of reverse that that that, that trend um I guess my understanding of the literature is, is that the, there, is, uh, there are shifts when you look at people who are directly exposed to things like terrorism or, or natural disasters. But we don't really have good evidence around shifts which are national, which are in response to such a national, uh, sorry, a, a crisis which has such a national effect. So Hurricane Katrina, for example, uh, had a had a very large effect on views of George W. Bush, but really only physically affected a small proportion of the American population. 9/11 obviously had uh, very large effects on a, a larger proportion of the population, but that was still quite geographically uh, concentrated so mm-hmm. this i guess gives us a, a chance to look at what what about something which has had direct effects on you know a, a about 15% or so of the population and indirect effects on three-quarters of the population.
2: I think this is fascinating um, in the sense that, you know, if you're on the beach at that you're never going to forget that. That's going to be a searing moment in your life. But if you spent, you know, sort of uh, two months stuck inside your house in Canberra, that's probably going to also be Mm. a sort of big kind of change. Um, And I think it's really kind of interesting that you've noticed this change in the attitudes of women. Um, And I wonder – you know how much of that is actually related to the fact that we're now talking about this issue in public health yep. terms.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, there's a couple of potential explanations for the for the gender differences in that swing. One is, uh, I mean, just a general finding of females having great, greater social networks, and and given that we're asking about not only concerned about you but also concerned about your network, uh, that. It's not surprising then that females not only report a higher rate of exposure, but also uh, that the effects uh, on females are are likely to to be greater. Uh, And that question around kind of the public health impacts is is another uh, really interesting one, which is we don't actually know what some of the public health impacts are likely to have been. And my guess is that as we find out more about some of those public health impacts, uh, that that's going to keep reinforcing the the, um, the salience of the issue. So uh, this isn't something which has had a short term effect, or, or which the the effects are, are kind of noble in the short term and then and then it's kind of forgotten about. We, uh, my guess is is we're going to get. Uh, Increasing data, increasing news about what the effects on the environments were, what the effects on on wildlife was, what the public health effects were, and that's and that's making that's going to keep bringing that the issue front of mind uh, for potential voters. Uh, and the government's job, I guess, is to to get it out of people's mind. Uh, and uh, the opposition's job is to to keep not necessarily reinforcing the the fear and anxiety but to to when the issue is is not being physically experienced to keep still keep people's um, uh, lived experience in, in front of mind in, in how they and 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 given that that the likely given the observed impact on on attitudes and um, beliefs in, in particular policy positions
0: is there a problem in some of this debate that um, the wrong question gets asked you know if, if 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 people in I'm not talking about necessarily your survey but but if people are being asked the question that uh, the, the coalition would sort of like them to be asked which is um, you know, do you blame the bushfires on climate change or, or some such direct question like that, you're going to get a low number mm. of people because anyone who thinks about it with any depth is not going to blame the actual yep. fire on climate change. But if you have a more nuanced question around um, the severity of fires, the propensity of fires, the build-up uh, from sustained drought of, of fuel load on the ground, uh, heat waves, it's a much more nuanced question and the... Tendency, you know, the trend line of vulnerability is very much a function of a warming
1: climate. Yep, yeah, and no, I think that's a really good, I guess, warning for for automatically kind of taking these polls as as face value, including mm-hmm. ours, uh, which was uh, one of the reasons why we made sure we had consistent questions through time, so then we can at least look at consistent trends. but we also did try a few kind of wording quest, uh, wording experiments to to kind of see how people responded to these um, to to different framing uh, and one of the things I was um, surprised about is that uh, there 's a a push at, i guess from first principles a justified push to move away from uh, discussions of global warming to global heating. Uh, Mm. And that kind of, you think, well, from first principles, that sounds more salient and is is going to make people more likely to see that as an issue. We found the opposite. Uh, So when when you frame things as global heating... Uh, there was a, a decrease in the proportion of people who thought um, it was an issue or or a um, or, or a threat to them.
2: Do you think that's just because they don't know what global heating exactly, is? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So
1: so I think what that comes back to is is that 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 real challenge of of asking about things which people are familiar with and therefore. Giving them a, a framework which they can answer questions with, uh, as opposed to uh, asking about uh, asking questions in a way which reflect the the changing science. And I think that's that's the challenge which you're talking about, which is uh, that we do want to ask people about um, kind of the nuance of the debate. So things uh, things like emissions related to electricity as opposed to transport as opposed to um, agriculture. agriculture. Uh, and that's a real complex issue and it's it's hard to gauge people's views on that without kind of priming them to, to answer in a certain way. So I think yeah. – um, Which you don't
2: want to do out there,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. Uh,
0: generally undesirable. <laughs> yes, yeah. but yeah, that that is that is a real problem. Well, look, that's been really fascinating. Just quickly before we go, it also that uh, your research showed up some interesting numbers on on sort of trust. And yep. I'm thinking about trust of firefighting authorities, yeah, yeah. for example, yep. uh, governments. Yep. um You know, what, what? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah.
1: So. My assumption going into the poll uh, was that there'd be a decline in in trust in the apparatus of government, uh, and a of a, a very strong. Uh, co- we asked about confidence not trust, uh, but very strong confidence towards uh, those people who are on the ground, uh, and we've the second effect held, whereas the first was a little bit more complicated. So I had thought that state and territory governments, uh, the public service would be caught up in in this kind of uh, crisis of confidence, but that's not what we found. Uh, we found a big decrease in confidence in the federal government. No change, no statistical we'll pull change out the in Hawaii in the public effect. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. So, so this was not about kind of the apparatus of government. I think the public saw that the public service was was kind of doing what they should be doing. Uh, the state and territories governments were kind of doing what they should be doing. Uh, the police doing what they should be doing. So, no real change uh, in views towards that part of government, but a big decline in confidence in the federal government uh and i think that's the challenge for i guess the the coalition is that this is not this isn't a crisis which we're all kind of in this together from a public policy perspective it's it's a, it's a very much fo- targeted towards a Scott Morrison and then b the coalition and i think that's that's um is the, the question once again comes back to whether that's going to stick or not? Uh, yeah, but that's, that's
0: it's a really fascinating question because, of course, the uh, this Prime Minister has announced this um, Royal Commission, mm-hmm. which is going to be looking very specifically at the kind of firefighting effort and those issues of uh,
2: coordination. Know, uh, mm-hmm.
0: Yes, coordination, um, adaptation, uh, you know, hazard reduction, those kinds of things. Uh, But also the federal power—the federal power to uh, intervene effectively in these, uh, to declare a national state of emergency or whatever—and you know that's interesting in itself Mm. because this is a prime minister effectively looking for a mechanism to be able to regard something as an emergency, which when it was happening Mm. he did not regard as a sufficiently big emergency to even stay in the country. Uh, And I don't think that will be lost on a lot of voters.
1: No, and and I think the the data suggests at least uh, that it's going to be very hard for the government to shift blame on this issue. Uh, confidence in the state and seri- states and territories have remained pretty consistent. Mm. Uh, the Rural Fire Service, I think 93%, oh, a, a, close to 100% of people were, had had confidence in the Rural Fire Service, uh, and even the public service uh, had uh, pretty consistent levels of confidence. So I think it's, it's not... Likely, a blame-shifting approach is not likely to work. And I mean, I'm not a political advisor, but I think what is more likely to to work is a recognition uh, and then a policy response which reflects the views uh, which are picked up in not not only our data but also in other data, which is as you said that shift in in news poll.
2: Well, historically, when leaders lose trust and have big uh, collapses in their trust numbers. Uh, have they actually been able to gain them back
1: yeah so well one of the interesting things is is that this kind of takes us back the trust the confidence in the federal government kind of takes us back not too dissimilar to what it was prior to the election. Uh, and that loss in confidence was not from policy. That was from internal eruptions. Uh, and uh, so when we looked at the kind of the, the, the time series in confidence, it's, it's not like the federal government's always been – had this level of, of low confidence. But the previous lows were due to kind of internal, uh, either when it was with Labor or when it was with Abbott and Turnbull or when it was with kind of Turnbull and as uh Termal and Morrison. Uh, so the question is whether the th- there's no it's not as easy to move from move on from a uh, kind of external crisis which is tied to the current PM if the PM doesn't change, as opposed to kind of internal uh, debates and then a new leader and then a, a fresh start. So I think it's a – while there has been rebounding in confidence in previous data, that's been under a slightly different scenario which is kind of self, self-inflicted self internal and And the question is whether you can do the same. A
2: political dimension versus a public policy Exactly, dimension.
1: yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and because the – because the public policy is is so tied to um, Scott Morrison with a lump of coal, I mean, th- this is not something which which is uh, which didn't have which didn't fit into a pre existing narrative, and I think that's what makes it a little bit more difficult. Is this isn't something which like coronavirus, which had no, uh, there was nothing. There's no backstory. There's no so backstory it, exactly. No. So so there's a chance to start afresh, even if Morrison. Was on the back foot, or, or didn't kind of respond in the way which she otherwise might have wanted to. At least that didn't feed into a narrative, and he had a chance to to regain. Whereas I think it's it's hard to manoeuvre when it's so tied to to why Morrison got the job in the first place, mm. uh, and and the positions which he took to the election.
0: Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Nick, thanks for coming in and talking about it. Uh, Thanks, Maria, uh, once again for being here for this uh, second serve or democracy sausage extra or whatever we're calling it, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you and talking to you again soon.
2: Will there be onions?
0: (laughs) Raw (laughs) onions.
1: On the the bottom or on the top? Uh, We have
2: to eat them raw. (laughs) On the top.
1: (laughs) Bye for now.